Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker joining you this evening to talk about consciousness. Where is it? You know, we kind of a lot of times talk about what is it, you know, is it the soul or, or what have you? Uh, but we're going to be talking about where it actually resides in us, out there somewhere. Where is this thing that we call a consciousness? But before we get into all of that, I do have some exciting news to share. Uh, just And, you know, it's funny because I just sent out the newsletter today for those, uh, well, all of you that are watching the live stream right now, which is through the Connected Universe Portal, ConnectedUniversePortal.com, you would have gotten the newsletter, uh, Connected Universe newsletter, and because I'd already gotten that out today, the news that I got this afternoon wasn't able to share yet. So I'll share it here for you guys right now. And that is the uh, Shadow Dimension, which I, you guys know about my my crazy story with distribution. Uh, and, and of course, I did end up finding a distributor. Got done uploading everything that they needed at the end of last week, like very end. And, you know, from everything that, uh, you know, that I've read and from talking to them, and all of that fun stuff, you know, it can take up to three weeks, maybe a month to get everything checked off. Only took a few days. They passed everything today. So now it's available to be distributed. It's already been picked up by one service. I don't know any details about when it will be available. It just happened today, like this afternoon. So got passed. And then what I just checked like an hour ago, because, you know, I'm going to be on top of that checking. <laughs> it was already picked up by a service. So uh, Shadow Dimension will be available soon. I'll give you all the details as to when and where and all that when I have all of that information at my fingertips. Um, but I just want to let you guys, you know, be the first to know, because uh, I am certainly excited about all this. And this is really strange. It put my comments in a totally different place. Why did you do this, Facebook? Can I move this? Okay, that is so strange. Okay. Yeah, it has my comments in a totally different place instead of off on the sides. Now I have to move this so I can see it better. Uh, okay, in any case, let's go ahead and get into the show instead of dealing with my live streaming issues because those listening to the podcast later on or on uh, KGRA radio or just going to be like, what in the world is he talking about? In any case, and thank you, Victoria, for the uh, congratulations. I appreciate that. And say, I told you Nicole was going to tag everybody. All right. So consciousness, uh, this is essentially where we're talking about, you know, whether you want to call it, you know, your inner voice, your soul, what have you, uh, you know, different religions and belief systems have different terms for it. I'm not going to get into all of those. It is that part of us that is inside of us that is not part of the body, not this, you know, fleshy, meaty thing that we carry around for however many years we're on this earth. Talk about the thing that's been around here since uh, before we were born and what we will carry on with us into the afterlife. And, you know, if you're watching or listening I'm going to guess that you already pretty much have a belief in the afterlife. So uh, I know uh, Nicole, who's uh, she's a psychic medium. She interacts with these people all the time. Victoria, uh, of course, you do as well. Tom McNicholas, you know, paranormal investigator. You know, you guys are very, very familiar with, you know, these, um, these spirits that we interact with. Now, we're not going to get into this so much from the aspect of you know, investigating the paranormal or ghosts or hauntings, what have you. We're actually going to be talking about the consciousness and what this is and where it may actually be residing. So we're going to start, though, here with uh, Duncan McDougall. Now, this is the guy that little over 100 years ago now, back in 1907, he was the one that was actually running the experiments to determine the weight of the soul. 
So he basically got volunteers to have themselves weighed during the process of dying. It did take into account things like sweat, uh, urine, and you know all those different bodily fluids. Uh, there were you know other scientists and doctors that were a part of these experiments, and he actually deduced that the soul weighed about 21 grams. So it's not very heavy, but he did notice a very recognizable weight loss at death. Uh, Extremely interesting, extremely controversial. And even to this day, it's highly, highly debated. Uh, Now, they, they only ran a handful of tests or six tests that were run. So it's not a very big sample size. Uh, of course, there's a huge uh, debate on the ethics of all this, which is probably why the test has not been run since then. So you have this, it's a small, again, a small sample size. It's a very controversial test. Uh, you know, the ethics are, of it are debatable, but yet, it does exist. These these tests did happen uh, back in the early 1900s. So what exactly, or where exactly does this consciousness, this soul go? Where did it originate from? Uh, and where does it reside when we are here? Like me sitting here right now. Where is this consciousness of mine? Obviously, I'm talking to you. People are going to say, the brain, that the consciousness is up here in the brain while we're walking around here on Earth. Uh, Or is it in our genetics, in our DNA somewhere, perhaps? Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, there's a lot of information that has been coming out from the Heart Math Institute about a connection between the brain and the heart. So it could be that it's shared between the two. We're going to get to a lot of different concepts. I'm not necessarily going to say this is the one that I adhere to. I think there's a lot of different theories out there, and we need to research, debate, talk about it. And maybe as we continue the discussion over the years, maybe we'll come to some sort of firmer idea. Now, I know that there are plenty of people out there that are like firmly entrenched in a certain camp. Um, I always retain the right to change my mind. So I may lean toward uh, something right now, but as I learn more information, I may eventually change that opinion, which I believe is healthy. I don't think you should be you know, firmly entrenched in a particular camp forever, unless, you know, that just proves out to be true and correct and, and whatever. But a lot of times, um, yeah, a lot of times as we learn more, the facts change. So, uh, so let's get into uh, the heart and brain connection. Uh, so, and Victoria's asking, before we move on from that, uh, back with uh, Dr. McDougall, at the moment of death, not to get too gross, the body loses control, bowel control, and contents are released. Did uh, Dr. McGoogle take all that into account? Yeah, that, that's what I was talking about uh, earlier, that he did take into account sweat, urine, all that sort of stuff was taken into account. Because those were arguments that were posed to him when he first published his findings. And there was a lot of back and forth, back and forth. Um, and again, there are other doctors and scientists there with him to support him on this. And yes, he did take all those things into account. Uh, Tom McNicholas, uh, you're here having technical issues. I hope you figure it out, buddy. It's good to have you here as always. So brain and heart connection. All right, let's get into this sort of stuff. That is not the one I wanted up. Sorry, those listening to the podcast later have slides. So, all right, brain and heart connection. Here we go. Now, what's really, really interesting uh, about the connection between the brain and the heart. Now, our ancestors, our forefathers, four people, because <laughs> they could be four mothers too. Uh, a lot of indigenous peoples uh, believed that the the soul was in the heart. Uh, it wasn't until you know, much, much later that uh, people figured out that the, the brain controlled 
uh, you know, most of the uh, you know, bodily functions. And so then it became assumed that the, the soul was actually in the brain as well, or the consciousness, I should say, not the soul, but the consciousness uh, was in the brain as well. Well, what they are discovering now is that there are 40,000 sensory neurites in the heart. And what these are, are brain-like cells. And in fact, they're, they're called the little brain in the heart. And they learn and feel independently from the cells in our brain. So within our, within our heart, we have these cells that are creating these neurological links like in our brain. So we think with both our brain and our heart, and it's, you know, it's to me ironic. You know, we always say, okay, what does your heart tell you, right? You know, you, the brain is thinking one thing that do this, do this, do this. And then we say, what does your heart tell you? As, you know, a way to say, okay, what's your emotional side actually telling you? Well, yeah, your emotional side, sure. But there is actually science to that in which you do have thinking capacity within your actual heart. It's not just a muscle muscle pumping blood. Those neurites in there are actually a thinking center here. And so there's a very strong uh, connection between the two. And there are different meditative techniques that you can use using your heart, connecting your brain at a uh, certain frequency to quiet those and put yourself into a meditative state. I'm not going to get into uh, all of that right now, uh, but it's very, very interesting. Some of these different, um, some of these different scientific, uh, I don't necessarily want to say discoveries, but like during transplants. And we've talked about this before when we've talked about, uh, when we've done the supernatural DNA episodes and we've talked about genetics little girl had a heart transplant and after she had the transplant she started having all these crazy nightmares in which she was seeing herself out in the forest and essentially uh witnessing an attack and after this kept happening kept happening kept happening uh, you know, her parents became very, very concerned. So what they ended up doing was, you know, they got her to, you know, give a fuller description. They did a drawing, all of these sorts of things. And long story short, what they ended up discovering was that the the heart that, she, that was transplanted into her was from another girl. And this girl had actually been murdered. And with the uh the with the recipient's memories or from her dreams that she was having she was actually able to give a description of the murderer who when confronted ended up confessing to it was charged convicted all of that so what was going on was that within the heart within those neurites they retained memories from the donor and you know you, you uh you hear about a lot of these interesting uh, transplant uh, recipients in which there's something about the organ that they're given that retains memories from the the original donors. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that's you know, consciousness that's being uh, that's being transplanted from one to the other, but it is kind of interesting how there's at least something biological happening there between the two. And I think it at least allows a link from one person to another, whether it may be encoded in the DNA or not, or is it an actual link that's created from one's consciousness to another person's consciousness that may still be, you know, be out there roaming somewhere, be out in the ether or what have you, does it create 
uh, a, a bit of a connection there from one consciousness to another, almost kind of like, um, you know, let's say you have a, a website and you end up linking, putting a link on your website to somebody else's. And now you have a connection there between, you know, the two websites is that little, and you, you know, you use a little bit of, of code there, maybe even an image to connect the two together. Is that, you know, maybe it's not the best analogy, but is that kind of what's going on here is you've created something you know, that's essentially a piece from another person's site to your own. And now you have that connection. So you, uh, when you're receiving the organ, are you creating that connection to another person's consciousness? So, um, all right. So that kind of brings us down the line. I'm not going to get into it so much this time. Uh, but that conversation that we've had before of, you know, traits being handed down from your ancestors through DNA that, you know, is it possible that you can have memories from your ancestors basically encoded with the DNA? We're talking more consciousness this time around rather than DNA. And when we talk, of, when we talk about these couple of different things, it almost kind of muddies the waters because of the fact that you don't know for sure is this a genetic thing? Is this just, you know, DNA and there's, you know, a code within me now, uh, you know, that is, you know, perhaps like I have certain traits, you know, that my grandfather had. I've heard from my parents before that I do or say things or have mannerisms, you know, like my grandfather or, or other relatives uh, that have, that have passed. Uh, so is that just, you know, in my, in my DNA or is, is there something, you know, even if it is related to the DNA and genetics, it creates a a link from my consciousness to theirs. It almost, um, you know, that I'm tapping into that uh, while I'm just going about my day, my daily life. Food for thought. But as we get into, you know, our minds. Okay, so that was heart and mind, uh, you know, connection. And of course, the big question is our consciousness in our mind. Is the heart and mind, is it just the heart? Is it, is it actually in our body? Uh, you know, is it just, you know, people talk, and we'll get into astral projection here in a little bit. People talk about, uh, you know, when they, when they do astral project and they see somebody's soul, like they go into somebody's room, you know, who's sleeping, and the person who is projected is looking down at that person, they see kind of an offset, almost kind of a, like a glowing body of that person. They believe, okay, that's the soul. That's the consciousness. Is it, is it that? Is it almost like a whole encompassing thing? Just, you know, kind of stuck in the body, but this like glowing ghostly image, for lack of a better term. So, the brain. Let's let's get into some different brain states here and, and examine. Okay, is this a brain thing? This was the image that I accidentally brought up before. All right, so uh, we we used this image before a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about different dream states. Uh, these are uh, different wavelengths, and the one that I want to talk about here is is theta, the four to eight hertz. Uh, level one into sleep. Now, this is a an uh, in, in area of the mind when when we dream a lot, when we have uh, very very uh, vivid dreams. The uh, delta uh, lower than that, that's where you're you know, like knocked out, and that's where you're you know you're actually regenerating um, in your healing uh, in, in in that sort of fashion. Uh, but theta is where you're having your vivid dreams. That this is a state, and this is a very, very interesting story here uh, in regards to to Thomas Edison. And this is what I just learned here recently. And he was basically experimenting, and he it doesn't even seem like he knew it, uh, where he was experiencing or experimenting with uh, hypnogonia. Uh, which is a, basically a very, very fancy term for uh, this type of dreaming. 
And I'm going to throw up a couple of photos here of, of statues of Thomas Edison. And in this particular one, sorry for those that are uh, listening to the podcast later or on uh, KGRA radio, you're not going to see the, the photo, but in his hand, he's holding a silver metal ball. Uh, this is another statue of him, a little bit of a different pose uh, in, in which he's holding the ball, but same thing. He's got a cane in one hand and a silver ball in the other. So what the heck is a silver ball all about? Well, Thomas Edison uh, would claim that he didn't sleep much, maybe a, a couple of hours per night. But there's there's kind of a reason <laughs> why he didn't most nights. And that was because what he would do, he'd be in his lab and he'd be sitting in a chair. And he'd hold the ball in his uh, hand. And on the ground, he had a metal plate. And so when he would start dozing off and falling asleep, the ball would naturally fall out of his hand, would hit the metal plate, and would then wake him up. And he had basically, during that time where he was falling asleep, entering that theta state where he was starting to have those very, very vivid dreams. And what he did is he would write down everything that he could remember seeing during that dream state. So basically he had his own little dream journal and he claimed that he got a lot of his ideas or solutions to problems uh, and things like that during this dream state. So that's his consciousness out there in the universe interacting with who knows what in getting these different ideas. We'll get into like some of the ideas about the collective unconscious uh, here in, in a little bit. Actually, we could talk about it now. We, we could actually talk about that now because I actually have uh, kind of a related um, dream story. And some of you have probably uh, heard this before. I know that uh, you know those down there in the chat here in the live stream, like uh, Tom and Victoria and Nicole, of course, you've heard this. Um, in others, uh, you know, that are tuning in, um, this is one in which, uh, you guys remember the Rocky story. So a huge Rocky fan as a kid and it was really, uh, I've been a writer since I was seven years old and, uh, it was really kind of interesting when I was about that age, just before Rocky three came out and I wrote my own little version of Rocky three, you know, two had been out. I'm a writer, I'm writing my own little stories. And in my version of Rocky three, I had, uh, you know, Rocky and Apollo become friends and I had Rocky fight a Russian. Well, in Rocky three, he becomes friends with Apollo Creed and in Rocky four, he fights the Russian years later after Rocky four, um, just talking with my, with my mother one day and I'm telling her about how I liked the Rocky movies better when he was poor and didn't have, uh, and didn't have so much money that, um, you know, he was kind of funnier and more down to earth. You know, I just, I liked those movies better. Well, all of a sudden Rocky five, he loses his money. So I was certainly like tuned into something there, uh, you know, whatever Stallone was picking up on for his storylines, I was at least tapping into a little bit. It's that idea of the collective unconscious that's out there. You know, we can uh, tap into that knowledge and those resources out there and be able to pull from it. So kind of the idea of what Edison was doing during this type of dream state that he was uh, you know, basically allowing his brainwaves to get to a certain point in which he could tap into uh, that level of consciousness with his own consciousness and be able to grab those ideas. But wait, we're not done with the story yet. So it was probably the late 90s, early two. I think it was early 2000s. Um, you know, it was before, it was years before Rocky Balboa came out, which was the, the sixth one. And I had a dream that they did, in fact, make a sixth movie. And in my dream, Adrian 
was dying. She was on her deathbed. Fast forward to when Rocky Balboa came out, they started the movie with her dead. So while my dream was her on her deathbed, um, and who knows, maybe it was one of those during that point in time when I was having the dream, Stallone was debating on, you know, the storyline for it, you know, should I or shouldn't I have <laughs> um, uh, Adrian dead? Well, she's dead to start off uh, Rocky Balboa. So again, something I'm tapping into even years later, and it's appearing in a dream state. I'm not going to get into all of like premonitions and things like that right now. We've talked about that in other uh, episodes of, of Beyond the Shadows when we've talked about dreams. But um, basically, this is a uh, basically a state of the brain that you can get into uh, in which it allows your consciousness, it almost like lets down different walls in order to allow your uh, your your consciousness to be able to access different levels of information that are out there in the universe. Uh, and Victoria is saying, uh, exactly that's how I solve most of my problems. Wake up with the answers after a night of tossing and turn, turning lucid dreaming. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so I keep a, a dream journal now. It's right back there on the desk behind me. Uh, I don't write in it as often as I should. And there are simply things that I just you'll forget even upon waking i'm like that was interesting what the heck was it <laughs> so it's like within seconds you can lose it but um you know when you are able to remember those things and hang on to them they can be extremely extremely interesting and valuable so and i have there have been things that have popped up to me in my dreams like ideas for writing or you know to solve a problem uh that i'm that i'm needing to fix uh, ideas will come through that way. And I should make a better point before going to sleep to meditate on, okay, universe, this is what I would really like answered this evening, or this is a problem that I really want to work on this evening while I'm asleep and, you know, to try to tap into and access that information for when I wake. So another interesting uh, story here uh, bef before we move on. I was watching some uh, presentation by uh, Grant Cameron here just recently, and I haven't really watched his stuff before. Um, in fact, I don't think I have before now. Um, but he talks about a lot of these different things. And he recounted a story about a... Uh, a scientist who had a uh, an idea for you know, a number of different patents and, and what have you, and he was trying to get some of these things up on uh, the space station. And, of course, to, to do that, uh, or at least at that time, I'm not sure how long ago this was, there was a specific general that he needed to go through and basically got denied. Well, he hit this other hit up this other scientist and he kind of snuck it through that way, got it up there on the space station uh, and everything worked brilliantly. It was, you know, fantastic. So in general came back later, you know, asking, okay, who, you know, who did that? Who, who authorized that? Who got that up there? Where did this idea come from? And that was the question. That was the kicker. Where did the idea come from for this technology that got put up there? And this guy didn't want to divulge the information straight to this general. I guess he told a scientist friend later on. Basically where this idea had come from was he had been sleeping, woke up in the middle of the night. There was a hooded figure standing at the edge of his bed. And the idea for this project was in his head. So... To me, that's absolutely fascinating. And in this, this presentation I was watching, this was all of like a you know two or three minute story that included a hooded figure, the only story that included anything about a hooded figure. And of course, with everything that I do and all the research that I've done on uh, shadow entities, shadow figures, shadow phenomenon, a walk in the shadows, right? Uh, my, my latest book. It, this to me was just, 
hands down absolutely fascinating. And it also goes, you know, to show that not all these shadow entities are evil, nasty, and nefarious. This one apparently was conveying some sort of information, passing something on to this guy, to his consciousness, to take with him for whatever this this project was to, you know, put up into space. You know, absolutely fascinating. You know, getting this type of information from a hooded figure. Um, I've told the story before. We're not going to get into shadow entities here, but. Uh, the one that uh, was seemingly benevolent uh, with the uh, little boy that kept being you know, visited by the, the hooded figure and then whispered into the ear of the doctor the uh, correct test to run to come up with the proper diagnosis for him. So uh, very, very interesting that you're seeing this in some of these other discussions. Uh, so Tom McNicholas saying, I wish I could remember most of my dreams for more than 30 seconds. Uh, Victoria saying, I love my shadow entity. Yeah, I, Victoria has the one at uh, there at Old Town Spring, uh, which is part of the shadow dimension. So uh, I think, uh, Victoria, I think people will uh, truly enjoy uh, your story about that. So uh, that's the, uh, that's basically Theta uh, with, with, with the mind. I do want to briefly cover uh, Gamma. So this is another uh, uh, wavelength of the mind. This is heightened perception, problem solving, cognitive processing. This is like a very heightened sense of awareness. Uh, you, can, you see on the other diagram that we had, that we didn't even get into Gamma on that other one when we were talking you know, dreams and what have you the other day uh, or the other week. But gamma is a whole other level, which is a heightened sense of awareness. And I've I've talked a little bit about this before, not as like uh, gamma waves, but as the idea of entering into this heightened sense of awareness in which um, all of a sudden everything with my perception becomes extremely, extremely clear. Now, I have terrible vision. Uh, but there are times where just whatever the heck is going on in, in my mind at that time or within my consciousness, all of a sudden, everything around me becomes extremely clear. And to me, that can't really be biology because, I mean, I have terrible eyes. I have the corrective vision, but there is something that just all of a sudden becomes ultra, ultra focused and everything around me becomes clear as a bell. Um, it's a really, really interesting phenomenon, and it's being in this state of a heightened, a heightened awareness and this ultra, ultra creativity mode. Um, it's really fascinating, and I don't know how else to describe that to people, um, but this is a state in which, um, you know, I guess, at least from, from what I've read and what have you, uh, at this state, this is where... You know, like Buddhist monks, this is the state that they will enter into where they start doing like some of their extreme healing techniques and, and things like that. Uh, that this is this is the state that they will enter through their meditations to get there. And once they're in it, they can do, you know, all these uh, amazing things. Uh, so for me, I, I won't say that I would go into some sort of meditative state. Uh, I, I certainly, I'm not very good at meditating really um it, it's or at least it's something that i don't practice well enough i should say I, i'm sure if i was to practice more i could be better at it but with me it's more of um really entering a uh a sense of awareness or a, some some sort of knowledge hits me that all of a sudden things just become extremely clear and all my senses are extremely heightened. The one that always gets me is my vision because everything's become super, super sharp, which is really unusual for me. <laughs> um, all right. So moving on from that. Uh, okay. Consciousness within the body. That was kind of our discussion for half of this show so far. But what about consciousness? embedded 
buildings. Um, not going into the whole, can a building be a tulpa thing? <laughs> that was that was an interesting discussion uh, a long time ago. Uh, but we're not talking tulpas. But consciousness embedded in buildings. Uh, Carl Johnson has a, uh, he likes to speculate. We've had him on the, the Edge of the Rabbit Hole show a number of times in which he talks about the idea that memories can be embedded in the materials of a building. So, you know, whether it's the walls, the basement foundation, the nails, whatever, the ceiling, that memories could be trapped within that. It's very similar to when we start talking about uh, stone tape theory, that you know, energy is dispersed from some sort of event. The surrounding material captures it, and we don't know what it is that kicks it off to play it back later. So we usually end up calling that like a residual haunt. Um, again, we're not really talking about ghosts and hauntings this evening, um, but I wanted to bring it up because this is something that you know our, our friend Carl has, has talked about, and I'm not really talking about that type of energy. You know, we're talking about a, a person's consciousness. Could somebody's consciousness get trapped into, you know, the, the stonework or the masonry or, you know, the, the building materials of a place? Maybe to a degree, I, I believe it, it's more when that happens, because it's, again, their, their consciousness that's, that would be trapped there if we're talking, if we are talking about a consciousness that it's more of they believe that they're trapped there or they're too afraid to go elsewhere. And so they've basically trapped themselves. When we're talking stone tape theory, that's more of an event, you know, not a person's consciousness, just the uh, really like the, like kind of like Carl says, the memory of an event, like the energy is expelled out of whatever happened and becomes trapped there to be able to be played back later. So, you know, you think of, a, we call it stone tape theory because you think of a magnetic tape. Well, if a location has um, materials there that could be written to, especially if it's something like, you know, that has quartz-based properties there um, or, you know, or metals are, are, are present there, you know, because a, uh, you know, a magnetic tape actually has metallic properties to it. Um, and so if you have metals or stones that, you know, could possibly record, then it would trap that energy and play it back. A person's consciousness would be different in that they have elected to stay there. So an interesting story that uh, we've, we've had this guest on Edge of the Rabbit Hole a couple times now. We're going to try to bring him back on later in the summer. Uh, he's busy earlier this summer, as we've already talked a little bit, Freddie Silva. So he has a very, very interesting story about being in the Great Pyramid at Giza. And they had a moment there to be within the king's chamber alone, him and a couple of others, uh, late at night. And the lights got turned off on them while they were in there. Everybody else that was apparently at the pyramid had cleared out and their little group got to be in there alone for this, for a short period of time. And his group likes to do something that he calls toning and basically to kind of, I guess, try to attune different ancient sites to a certain frequency. So they're in there basically kind of doing almost like a low level chant. Um, you know, almost kind of like the ohm type of thing. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly their their chant or their humming or whatever they were doing was. Um, well, we've talked to him about the story. And during this time when this happened, there were these light beams that came out of the walls. They're basically like people dressed in white clothing. They came out of the walls. And they all witnessed this. Um, this went on for, for several minutes, and uh, what was interesting was none of them actually talked about it while they were in there. It wasn't until they got out that one of the people said, um, or, or I guess Freddie said, well, that was kind of interesting in there, don't you think? And the other one of the other people 
uh, was like, well, you mean the you know, people in the white clothing that came out? And so it was, you know, kind of that confirmation there. So where did these people come from? These were intelligent beings that came out. There was some a uh, little bit of interaction there. Uh, so were they living there in the pyramid? I don't think so. I don't necessarily think that these were uh, the consciousness of people trapped within the Great Pyramid. But you think about the properties of the Great Pyramid. You're talking limestone, granite. Um, you know, there's acoustic properties to the Great Pyramid. So we talk about, okay, these ancient sites of power being on areas that have that vortex energy that create portals. So were they actually calling out to these people, unbeknownst to them, because they weren't necessarily trying to call out to any sort of sentient beings, but were they calling out through a portal and these per people traversed the portal there into the pyramid? And again, this would just be their, their consciousness because there weren't physical bodies. They showed up as a form, almost like an apparition, but there was no physical body. So this would have been the consciousness of these entities coming forth from somewhere to appear there in the king's chamber. Um, Tom and Nick, Nicholas asking, do they have any equipment that can record our brains when we dream? Well, they have the, uh, the EEG meter. So basically they would detect your... Uh, your brainwave patterns. So, yeah, they do have that. And that's how they know about the different brainwave states. So between theta and beta and uh, delta and all those different states. Uh, Victoria Monday, singing bowls can send you in another realm when they hit that certain tone and vibration. You can feel it go through your body. Yeah, and that's kind of essentially what they were doing with with their voices. There is a certain... There's a certain uh, tonal resonance that you can hit, uh, and you'll see it play out like when they do the different uh, experiments with sound frequency, and you have the uh, the sand, and as you hit different vibrations, as you hit different tones, it changes the patterns. So it's kind of the same thing. So it's a, it's a matter of trying to find uh, you know that right tone, that right resonance, which you know basically is almost like a key to unlocking a lot of these different things. So I think that's what uh, was happening there with Freddy's group in the Great Pyramid. They hit that correct tone to be, to be able to unlock this door into the consciousness of these other beings coming into uh, the pyramids. Very, very interesting stuff. And I can't wait to get out to the pyramids this summer uh, and be able to hopefully experience some of those things for myself. So speaking of ancient Egyptians, this is kind of where I'm going you know, with a lot of this. So, okay, maybe being able to access uh, and communicate with these different uh, conscious beings, possibly from some other dimension. The ancient Egyptians believed in seven different parts of the soul. And we've talked about this uh, a bit with my uh, shadow research because of the fact that, you know, there is a shadow part of the soul that the ancient Egyptians believe in the cave it, and it stayed here on earth along with the ka, the animating part of the soul, and they would roam the earth. The other five parts, however, went off to the constellation of Orion. That was like the afterlife journey for the soul, according to... Uh, Egyptians, and again, different parts of the soul, so different parts of the consciousness going out there to the cosmos, to the universe. So it makes us question, is our consciousness connected to the rest of the universe? Yes, the connected universe, right? So is our consciousness connected to these different stars that are out there, uh, you know, the different planets, all these other galaxies. Well, yeah, you know, physically, physically, we are. Uh, you know, if, if you adhere, if you believe in the Big Bang, then, you know, we all 
originated from this little speck of almost nothing that exploded outward. So when we were that little speck, right, it was all connected. It was all one singularity that exploded outward. So at one point, everything here was actually together. So in that sense, physically, we do have a connection to uh, you know, all the other matter in the universe. So does that physical connection also give us a, uh, you know, a, a, what do you want to call it, a spiritual connection or a, a uh, interdimensional connection or a connection with our consciousness to all the other things within the universe? Um, you know, there are, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that we are all, you know, connected consciously to each other. And so somehow, some way we're all able to whether access one another or access other, you know, parts of the universe, you know, is that how we're able to, uh, you know, astral project, you know, because we are connected to these other places in the universe. So does that make it, I won't say easier because I don't believe astral projecting is necessarily easy. (laughs) I've never, never fully done it before. I've gotten on the verge of OBE and that was back when I was a teenager, didn't really even realize what the heck I was doing until it almost happened and I haven't been able to do it since. So I wouldn't say easy, but um, does make it possible for us to connect with other parts of the universe on that level. Uh, Possibly, possibly. So, and this even comes to, you know, interdimensional travel, not just you know, astrally projecting, which would be a type of interdimensional travel, but I guess I'm talking more, you know, almost like a time travel sort of thing, or, you know, appearing in, you know, outside of time, appearing in another dimension somewhere, which doesn't necessarily have to be time travel, but you know, think of the movie Interstellar, where Cooper's interacting within the Tesseract, and he's able to see all moments of time in his daughter's bedroom, you know, so could we bring our consciousness to that type of state? And if we are in that type of state, where is our consciousness? Okay, another dimension, but what exactly is that? What what, what level? I, I guess we try to overthink things in a, we like to put things into a physical context. And I think once you get past the third dimension, the physical's out the window. Fourth dimension's time, which we kind of basically live in and exist in, and then everything below you, you can actually see and interact with. Uh, above that, you know, is some other state of being. When we come up with the idea of the Tesseract, basically we take, you know, our 3D cube, our 3D world, and we're sticking another three-dimensional cube on top of it. Um, I... I understand that that's supposed to be like a representation of another dimension, but I don't think it's necessarily accurate to how it really works. But with, I, I appreciate that people are you know trying to think on those terms in that level, but I think we have to think beyond the the physical at that point. It's more of a, of a conscious thing at that point. So going down this road, jumping into this rabbit hole, simulated universe. So we're getting to the last few minutes of of the show. I do have to address the idea of, okay, simulated universe. What if our consciousness is not really in this plane of existence at all? What if it's actually elsewhere? And we're just playing this out from somewhere else. So you can think of it like the Matrix. So Neo's body, his you know his consciousness in in that representation is supposed to be in his head. He gets in the chair. They stick the thing in the back of his head, and he's basically in a dream state. He's interacting, you know, whether it's in the construct where he's doing all the Kung Fu stuff or Morpheus is telling them how you know, things really are, or then he's actually in the matrix. Again, still just playing things out there, but really his physical body and his consciousness 
are in that chair. His consciousness is basically projected into the world, the virtual world, to be able to play it out. So if we are in a simulated universe, just kind of playing things out here, yes, it feels very real. And like Morpheus says, uh, reality being those electronic impulses and interpreted by our brain, um, you know, there's, there's science uh, in a lot of theology behind those movies. Um, but if we are, you know, but we could actually be elsewhere uh, when we, when we pass and we go on to that kind of quote unquote home world, like we talk about when we get, when we go down the rabbit hole of past lives and reincarnation and all that, um, you know, is our consciousness actually up there? You know, and I say up there for lack of a better term, it could just be out there up in the cloud somewhere. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like the, the internet cloud, right. You know, it's, it's a possibility that our consciousness is not here with us, not in our brain, not in our heart, not in our body, not hanging out next to me or behind me like a puppet. It could be up in the cloud somewhere or off in the home world. Um, there are people who believe that, you know, within a multiverse, if we are in a multiverse, that our consciousness could simultaneously be in multiple places, multiple worlds at once. So I'm only uh, recognizing this one that I'm in right now, but I could have a part of my consciousness being played out in another universe as well. So almost kind of think of it like uh, you know, a person sitting at a computer and they've got three monitors sitting there on each monitor is a different game world that they're playing in. Or they could even have, uh, you know, three sessions of The Sims up there, and they're, you know, they got three different games of The Sims going on, and, you know, they're each, you know, partaking in a simulation on each one of those. So you know, there are people that believe that uh, that sort of thing is going on, you know, and, and a lot of that information is coming from um, whether it's past life regressions or near-death experiences where, uh, you know, people that have had NDE experiences, some, not all, it seems like a lot of people have a lot of different types of NDE experiences, but some of them have reported, um, you know, going into that home world for a little while, seeing some loved ones up there, and there are some people that are not fully engaged, and the idea is that there are pieces of them that are not fully there, and they're down in these other universes, basically playing out in the simulation. So that's another possibility as well. Uh, Victoria, it's uh, like that bowl in Dumbledore's office where all memories can be seen. You just need to stick your head in and look around. Um, well, yeah, possibly. You know, that's... yeah. I guess kind of from um, you know, being in one of those dimensions, looking down, it's kind of like that idea. Uh, and then as far as, uh, you know, the uh, multiverse, you know, being like the drive-in, you look around, see all other screens at the same time. Well, except that with different, the difference between uh, being at the drive-in is that you can't interact. You just, watch the movie. Whereas if you have different sessions of a, of a game up and you're actually in the game playing around, now you're interacting. So, um, so that's kind of the idea there. So that there are a lot of different ideas here, uh, that we've touched on about where the consciousness could be, how it's interacting with our universe, how we're able to use it to be able to, like we talked about dreams, to be able to get information. And even in that state, uh, you know, with our consciousness, it may not still be physically here with us. It may be out there somewhere. And we may be creating different connections with it to be able to access this information uh, that's flowing out there. So 
I guess what it comes down to is we have all these different theories and ideas. And I think any one of them could possibly be correct, or it could be a combination of all of them together, you know, to certain degrees. You know, there could be part of it, you know, part of it has to do with the heart, part of it has to do with the brain, part of it's, you know, out there in the ether somewhere. And they all have a, a role to play to whatever percentage that is. Uh, you know, again, I, I I believe everything's connected. This is, you know, this is the Beyond the Shadows show, but it's part of the Connected Universe. Again, for those listening later, go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com and, you know, see what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, so all of these things are connected to what degree or how much between each other, I think, is up for debate. But we are connected to all of these things out in the universe, all these concepts, all these different dimensions, uh, all these different higher levels and states of being, you know, from the, you know, zero dimension, uh, which is a point, <laughs> all the way on up to, well, um, you know, they talk about 10 or 11 different uh, dimensions. I think it's, I think it's 10 and 11 makes the math work right or something, you know, crazy like that. You know, you have to talk to those, uh, you know, quantum mathematicians, they have to have their, uh, all their formulas right and, you know, work out properly. But um, there are, and some of those, you know, higher ones are supposed to be extremely subatomic. In any case, there are a lot of other, you know, dimensions and other rabbit holes to go down, but we're connected to them all. It's just a matter of trying to access it if we can. Um, I think some people, as they alter their awareness and their uh, in their consciousness, that they're able to access some of these different realms. I think that's what some of these ancient sites of power were doing, that they were able to enter into these altered states of consciousness in order to access some of these other realms and other dimensions and, you know, be able to, you know, access other consciousness that, that are out there. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot to kind of, you know, wrap your head around, but I think now we're starting to rediscover uh, a number of these different things that you know, have been lost to time. You know, we're talking about thousands and thousands of years Technology was very, very different back then, but they were more in tune uh, you know, with those uh, different planes of existence using the earth energy and you know, the different things around them to be able to access it. We still don't know how they did a lot of these different things, but I think we're starting to get some better ideas, and hopefully here uh, we'll start getting the answers to some of these different mysteries. So... All right, everybody, I think that is going to wrap it up for this evening. Appreciate you joining me tonight. I will bring you news of the Shadow Dimension as it comes out. Uh, like I said earlier, got some great news today on it, but uh, I don't know exactly when it will be released, even though I know that there are platforms that are picking it up. But once I know, uh, you know for sure what date and time and all of that great information I will definitely let you know. And for those uh, listening in on the podcast, you can watch this as a live stream on Wednesday nights at ConnectedUniversePortal.com. You can get all the information there. If you want to participate in the chat, ask questions during the show. Uh, of course, there's a ton of information out there on uh, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. All kinds of articles that have already been uploaded. I'm still uploading a lot more to, uh, to their the uh, you got all kinds of sneak peek videos, monthly Q and A. By the way, guys, uh, for those watching the live stream right now, since you have access to the ConnectingUniversePortal.com, uh, the uh, question for the monthly Q and A is up, or the topic I should say for the monthly Q and A is up. You can go out there now, submit your questions, and by the end of next week, I will have the monthly Q and A video up. So yeah, lots going on out there. Um, so, uh, and those listening on KGRA Radio, thank you as well. All right, everybody, have a great night. We'll see you next time.